0: Kia ora and welcome to NZATE's student led podcast. Is this
1: in the test?
0: Today's topics of discussion will be the two films of Tsotsi and Eye in the Sky. We will be diving into these films, their themes, what they mean, and how you could utilize these in both an NCA and a scholarship essay. So, to begin with, we will discuss simply some of our favourite scenes from both of these movies. To begin with, a scene that which stuck out to me in Sotzi was his flashbacks to his childhood trauma. We can see this when he is running through the field away from the traumatizing experience which he has just had and we get camera cuts back to his past mm-hmm. which we later on see was him running from his abusive father and his dying mother. So we get a really nice insight into his past and how that affects his present.
1: I mean that kind of also reflects the current situation he's in because he's now trying to be a better father, and he did kind of shoot the mom, and <laughs> <Yeah>, she <laughs> is now kind of, the, yeah, the he so, so yeah, kind of dying. Yeah, the life. So, so it's a parallel. With he's queens. reliving his childhood as a way of like redeeming himself almost. Yeah, yeah. being the father he never had. Yeah, yeah, daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, also from Sotse, um, the two scenes that. I found stuck out to me was the contrast between the ending and the opening, um, with Butcher stabbing the man on the train and the violence portrayed in that scene, uh, in comparison to the ending where Sotsi returns the child to its parents and the growth and compassion that he had, even though it was really
1: difficult. Yeah. And- Because he didn't know if they'd shoot him or not. Yeah. And
2: multiple guns pointing at him. Yeah. And And then their dad was, like, screaming
1: and being, like, don't shoot him, and the police looked like they were definitely going to shoot him. (laughs) Yeah, and he had
2: to go against all of the beliefs that he'd been raised around Yeah, and everything he'd lived with. I think the difference in vulnerability probably stands out the most to me. Like, Mm -hmm. at the beginning, he's this very tough guy who really doesn't show any of his emotions. He's incredibly
1: apathetic. Yeah, exactly. And then at the end,
2: he's literally crying in front of all these people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, in Afrikaans... Sotsi literally translates to thug, uh-huh. so it's kind of he's been dehumanized to such a point. But also in the beginning bit where butcher stabs the guy, that guy is like completely at the mercy of mm. Sotsi and Butcher, and then in the end Sotsi completely at the mercy of the police and the dad. Yeah,
2: a yeah. shift I think. Yeah, okay. mm. um, but also in that ending, where the mother comes forward and confronts him, he. Is very again vulnerable but he's a lot more willing to listen to her mm-hmm. than he is to probably
1: because of also his preconceived perceptions based on like his father who was the worst and then his mom who was probably not that great but she did die <laughs> <laughs> so yeah awesome. uh, okay my favorite scene we're switching to I the sky was the one with Catherine <laughs> everyone's favorite character the British lady with the gray hair in the military costume and it's the bit where they have the kid mm-hmm. and they want to bomb the place of the suicide bombing but people don't want them to bomb the girl because she's in the way yeah because she's in the way and so catherine as any self-respecting military woman <laughs> does decides that she's gonna go to the data analyst and she's like hey you know we need a risk under 50 percent if this is going to go through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's 45%, right? And he's like, I I don't think so. And she's like, no, no, I think it is. And he's like, it's 65, 75%. And she's like, well, if you move it here, it's 45%. And he's just kind of looking at her like, what the hell are you doing? And she just keeps saying that it's 45% so that she can bomb the suicide bombers, but also bomb the child. Um, So eventually she like is persistent and annoying enough that the guy doing the data analytics kind of is looking at her like, oh, okay, you know, you're, like, in a senior position to me, so I'm just going to defer to your authority. But, like, what we're doing is kind of messed up. And then I think she mentions in there somewhere the quote, we will win the propaganda war. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she's got her priorities set straight, but it really shows how she is a very, like, an illusioned perspective of what she does. Mm. Like, even in the beginning, she's got in her house next to her sleeping husband an entire corkboard of conspiracies of all of these terrorists and, like, a fingerprint hard drive. So she's got, like, a very noble view of what she does. But in this scene, she's quite literally just a woman repeating something over and over that's so clearly factually wrong Mm -hmm. until she kind of gets through with brute force Mm -hmm. to like, yes, save people, but also to kill a child. So it's all very appearance-based, even though what she's doing is morally ambiguous, but the way she's doing it is not. She's kind of the worst. So <laughs> yeah. the problem with rank,
2: so she is higher ranking yeah. than the data analyst, so he's like, oh, well, I know that this this doesn't seem right, but you are my superior, so I have to
1: exactly. follow what you it's say. Exactly, it's that whole thing of, um, Power, and she's probably got someone in power above her that has done similar things to her. So she's just like, okay, well now it's my turn. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want people to get suicide bombed, even if it means I'm gonna have to kill this kid. And that decision in itself is a difficult decision, but in my opinion, it was the right one. I think it's just the way she went about it, Mm -hmm. especially afterwards. She, in the report, she was like, oh, we'll say it was 45% when, you know it clearly wasn't at that point I think you realize that it's not just her wanting to reach the outcome of less people dying but it's also her own image and to be able to say well look Mm -hmm. I stopped this I did this with minimal casualties but it was less casualties than it could have been but it wasn't the absolute minimum Yeah. yeah and I think
0: her ability to compartmentalize between the emotional aspect of her job and her actual duty is hugely significant, especially since the director chose to make her a woman. So mm-hmm. yeah. where we would expect to see maternal instincts, none. <laughs> we see absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Anita? Um, so one of the things that I thought was the most compelling was the ending dialogue. When the two soldiers come out of their, like, where are they? They're like in a little box. A little a shack in the Control room thing. Yeah. Yeah. They come out of the control room after having just launched a bomb and killed an innocent civilian. And then they come out and their boss tells them that they need to be back in 12 hours. And I think that was like really significant because it helped me see the lack of empathy that they have in the job. And it kind of um, like conveyed the theme of like us versus them. So as the audience, we're like deeply involved in this child. But for them, it's just a day's work. And I thought that was quite shocking.
1: And it's like, they're very clearly devastated mm. at the end. Like, they've also kind of destroyed themselves in a way because they're responsible for the death of a small child who they'd watched play and be in these harsh circumstances. And now they've killed her. And so they're clearly very out of it. And then when he says, oh, I'll be back in 12 hours, you expect them to be like, no, you yeah. know, I quit. Like, screw you. Yeah. But they don't. They come back. And it's also the power thing that Milo was talking about.
2: Yeah. I think that just the difference in impact like for these children and for those people where they have dropped the bombs, it's life changing, like it's devastating. But then for other people it's just
1: daily days work, so that privilege.
0: And now we'll move on to how we could apply a scholarship question to both Tsotzi and I in the Sky. Mm-hmm. The question which we initially had was a film structure is found in the realms strength. of fantasy sorry, a film strength <laughs> is on. found in the realms of fantasy and desire. And we altered it to a film's strength is found in balancing the realms of harsh reality and fantasy desire. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, so for skull questions, obviously you can change them a bit. And so by bringing in a second element of like reality, which is very present in both films, makes it a bit easier to dissect and you'd be more likely to get scholarship or get a higher score Mm -hmm. because of the comparison. Um, so, if we wanted to look over the general ideas related to, to that question in each film.
0: We have in Sotsi how he is already in a very harsh reality as a child.
1: And the um, child he picks up and carries around in the bag. Yeah, he is, uses it as a fantasy yeah,
2: for what's the life he wanted to live.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because Sotsi, he's very much everyone else around him is like, what are you doing? Mm.
2: They're very grounded in reality, and he is living in his own personal fantasy. I feel like he's really just trying to live through the child that he's got. Exactly. Yeah, live vicariously through the child. I mean, we talk about it a little, but um, the idea that he's named him David, which was Mm. his name, so he's kind of trying to name him as who he used to be to try to, like... He sees himself in the child.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and David, also in the Bible, there's a story of David and Goliath, which is, like, the small kid who kills this giant with a single rock, and I think... Sotzi in some way, equates him and David to this, like, small force who's going to take on the world mm-hmm. and everything that's been stacked against him. And the, the system that
2: yeah. put Sotsi in the position that he's in, like, his alienation from society is a kind of general overview of what Goliath is. So he yeah. and the child are fighting against all the odds to... Yeah overcome such yeah. a massive... He pilot. does have this fantasy that he'll just miraculously win. He'll be able to take care of this baby. He's going to be able to, like,
1: you know, regain his childhood. And that wife. just, like, can't happen. Yeah. And that's the reality yeah. of it. Like, and the th- audience knows. And the characters around him knows. Miriam, the mom that lives nearby him, everyone knows but him. Yeah. And so it's kind of balancing that. Yeah. And I yeah. think in this
2: um, film, he's really battered by reality. Like, he doesn't want to face it, but... His his in- yeah, his yeah. intentions are come from a really good place, but his perception of what he's doing is incredibly warped. Yeah, it's
1: so yeah. skewed.
0: Yeah, and his desire is to make the child's life better and theoretically make his past better, but the reality which he has is that he is so making the child's life so much worse, mm-hmm. making his health worse, everything, and we can see that how, through the examples of the newspaper de- yeah. nappy, the ants that were left all over the
1: child from poor care, The lack of feeding. Try to get him to chug condensed milk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so... (laughs) And, like, it's sad because he doesn't know any better because that's how he was raised. Like, his mom died. He had no maternal instinct. Yeah. Or knowing how to...
0: So while his intentions were good, at the same time, he also probably should have had the realisation that he wasn't capable of looking after a child and that he didn't have the resources needed to make this child's life better. Mm. Yeah. It's
2: like the um, roll of the dice thing where... His dice roll was significantly more difficult than the child's dice roll. Yeah. However, he views them as one and the same, which
1: doesn't really end well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Perfect. so moving on to Eye and the Sky.
2: Yeah. So I feel like this is these two differentiate in terms of the scholarship question. Um, in terms of Sotsi was more about like the character um has a fantasy and as the audience we're watching the character battle the fantasy and the harsh realities whereas i'm the sky is more the audience has this idea of what they expect to happen they expect the girl will be saved and everyone who's like the bad guys will get killed the good guys will be saved um but as the audience we're faced with the reality so i think we are more the ones who are led into a fantasy
1: yeah um and especially i think the moment that really cements the whole um, audience balancing a fantasy and desire, um, the fantasy and desire and half reality. The bit that really crushes that, where you're like, oh my god, this is horrible, is the scene where the girl's selling bread outside, and the guy that was controlling the little robot thingy bug that goes into the house gets the child to go buy the bread, mm-hmm. and that's like such an unlikely thing to happen, and the music's like crescendoing, it's really tense, like in most Western movies. And so by everything we've seen before in other films, we're like, okay, such a small chance this is going to happen. The music sounds hopeful, you know, the boy's going to buy the bread from the girl, she's going to get out in time. Mm -hmm. And the boy does buy the bread, he gets out in time, but the girl is still packing up the bread and she gets hit. And so it's this complete like letdown of this desire that had been building Mm -hmm. throughout the film and what we expected to happen. And they just kind of smash you with reality.
2: Yeah, like a subversion of expectations that isn't typically seen in films. And we can also see different desires within the characters of the film.
0: If you look at Catherine, her desire is very different to those who are actually controlling the bomb in terms of the well-being of the girl. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the aspect of the propaganda war. And some have the intention of winning the propaganda war and keeping that at the forefront of their mind. So the well-being of the girl is different depending on... Which
1: character you're looking at yeah and then um the scene anita was talking about before the whole be back in 12 hours even though like the audience's desire of fantasy of what was going to happen the girl's dead at this point is still like pretty crushed when they walk out and the person above them's like oh you did great work like did they do great work mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. really um, but he's like, come back, be back in 12 hours. And these two characters, seen by the acting of the guy from Breaking Bad mm. and then the other woman, are like so emotionally devastated. They've been crying their eyes out. And they come out, and you still think you still got this little bit of fantasy and desire in the audience's mind that, okay, they're going to say, screw you, we quit. Mm-hmm. But they don't, because the reality is they've worked their whole lives to get to this position. Where are they going to go?
0: Yeah, yeah. and like, the, the moral corruption is
1: pretty much in the job description. That's just like exactly. they have to do. Yeah. They have no other option. No. But to keep going, because what are they going to do? Like become homeless for one girl in a different country that they had to kill to stop a suicide bombing. It's mm-hmm. like a very corrupt situation, and it also brings up utilitarianism which yeah. is common across both of the films. Yeah. Like, the greater good. You can do one really horrible thing, but if it saves a more amount of people, then, you know, is that what you should do? Is it excusable? Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's another aspect of the harsh reality, which we really... sh sort of shoved down our throat at the end of the film.
2: It's yeah. also yeah. linked to the short story, The Ones who Walk Away From On where the um, <laughs> fantasy of the story is not believed until it's revealed that there is a tragedy involved yeah yeah so ultimately we kind of feel like you need the balance of fantasy and um, reality because without the reality you can't actually believe the fantasy you need to have that hope that that is something else yeah that that is something that either you can get through or that the characters can get through
0: and without the fantasy there is a much lesser impact of
1: the reality it's just miserable all the time (laughs) Um, Okay, so in terms of like breaking down the question word by word, um, to be really nitpicky about it, so like we said before, a film's strength is found in balancing the realms of harsh reality and fantasy and desire. So strength in terms of film is like what makes it compelling, impact on the audience, the narrative layers, how much you can dissect it. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so just another key word that we found in that question was balancing, which we reworded. Um, and we would define this as using both of them for a purpose to enhance each other. So that's the part we talked about, why, how, why you need fantasy, desire and harsh reality. Um, and so they work in tandem and they're intertwined.
0: And uh, looking at the harsh reality, it's sort of what is actually happening, how it's morally ambiguous. Uh, the time and environment, it sort of takes you, makes you take a step back and look at it realistically. Not what could be, not what you want to happen, what is happening and what is likely to happen with what you're left with, with with the environment that they're in,
2: what actually is feasible to happen. So it's, in Sotsi, it's very much what the characters want and the desire for a happy ending from the characters. Sotsi just wants everything to be okay and for everyone to be happy. in Eye in the Sky, it's the audience wants that humanity, that happy ending. Um, and for both films, the preconceptions of the audience about the films is for that happy ending to exist.
1: Yeah, so once we go from that into the actual Skull essay. Now, compared to NCA, scholarship essays are really focused around ideas, mm. not necessarily so much like the techniques. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in NCA, you go, "Here is my big idea. Here is a little idea for the paragraph. Here are two techniques." In school, you can do that, but it won't get you very far. So, with our overarching question, we came up with like three little sub questions of ideas mm. that you can dissect. So the first one is for paragraph one, where we examine Sotzi on its own, is Sotzi's strength as a film is found in the balancing of Sotzi's fantasy and desire against the known harsh reality. Yeah, and then we is
2: in paragraph two, focusing only on Eye in the Sky, um, our statement would be Eye in the Sky's strength as a film is found in the balancing of the audience, audience's expectations of fantasy and desire versus the harsh reality. And then paragraph three.
0: For paragraph three, you would compare and contrast the both. You'd take the similarities and the contrasts and analyse them. So in terms of similarities, sort of the main one that sticks out is the sacrifice of the fantasy and desire,
2: which occurs in both. Yeah. So why don't we go through and we'll break down how we would
1: approach each paragraph. Okay. So paragraph one, um, with the... Balancing Sotsi's fantasy and desire will bring up utilitarianism, like we mentioned before, the greater good. Um, the fact that, that he calls the kid in the bag, David, which is his name, David and Goliath. It's very much a him and the child versus the world. Um,
2: however, the reality is that while the child brings out his humanity and shows him how to be a better person, he greatly decreases the quality of life of the child. Mm. Um, Miriam is the catalyst for his growth as a person, um, but both her and the audience know that he cannot continue living in his false reality yeah i feel like miriam really is the catalyst because she is the one who actually grounds him in reality mm-hmm. she kind of sees like this is actually what's happening here's what you can do instead of so, you know, before he was just kind of like floating around in this little sort of fantasy yeah. world uh, she shows him she shows him kindness and the humanity that he
1: didn't get shown for a large portion of his life mm-hmm. um Miriam, in a way, is also kind of like a Trojan source. Like, if you wanted to use the technique of characterization by a boat, her house is all of these like stained glass lights she makes, these yeah. baby things. It's a very comforting place to be. So Sotsi thinks, well, you know, if anyone's gonna support mine, he doesn't see it as delusion, but his delusion, then it's gonna be her, right? Because she's really open and inviting. Uh-huh. But she puts her foot down and is like, no, like I feel bad for you but this is what is happening Mm. you shot a mother you took her child now you're keeping it in a bag Um, like it can't live like this you don't have to give it back if you don't want to get arrested but you know give it to me and I feel like she's ultimately the final weight on that scale of fantasy and desire and harsh reality that kind of tips it over Mm. and makes Sotsi have like an oh my god kind of moment yeah definitely Um, and then there's also kind of the moral dilemma, because, like we mentioned before, sotsi doesn't know any better, but also there's the question that Milo brought up: does he have the responsibility to recognize that he doesn't know any better, and as such, he can't give this child what it needs
2: when all he's known has been like that alienation that disgust, that avoidance yes. of human contact, kindness, vulnerability yeah, yeah. he yeah, he doesn't know any better, but he hasn't been given the opportunity to learn and to find out how he deserves to be treated.
1: Yeah. yeah, I feel like his fantasy in a way is that maybe he thinks on some level he can learn, that he can look after this child. Um, Even and the he, act of trying proves that, yeah, he, that has he has he at least really a little bit. Yeah, he really wants to try. But the saddest thing is, and the really harsh reality is... That even though he deserves to try, he deserves to have redemption, he, in the situation he's in, and with everything that's at stake, he just can't. Yeah. No. Like, the he, child can't afford that.
0: He yeah. needed to find a way of learning that was not at the sacrifice of another's
2: life or yeah. another's well being. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, now moving on to the second paragraph, which is all about I'm the Sky, and just reiterating reiterating we're saying that I am the Sky*'s strength as a film is found in the balancing of the audience expectations of fantasy and desire versus the harsh reality um so yeah bringing in what we've kind of talked about before we would be talking about um that scene with the child in the brick um, getting the bread and saying how you know we have this expectation um according to like what we've seen in hollywood and what we usually see is that you know that whole thing about um the good guys always win um And so when he gets this bread, it's kind of like this 11th hour moment where we expect that this will be like the tipping point. This is where they'll win. However, the audience is battered by the reality where it it turns out that she doesn't actually move and she's still in danger.
1: And I think part of what makes this like so monumental and so crushing for the audience, I remember when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, come on, like, pack up faster yeah you've got to do something else yeah. like oh it's okay, it's gonna be fine and yeah. then she gets bombed and you have to sit there while she's struggling to move yeah. and it just doesn't cut away. Mm. That was really shocking. Um, and I think it's because if scholarship loves when you bring out bring in outside text and stuff they eat it up <laughs> do that if you can do it um, they'll love it. but we've been coddled so much by modern films, modern cinema because mm. like films need to make money. if you have films that make you feel miserable, you're not gonna watch them as much, which means less money, hence the happy ending that we've grown accustomed to. But there are a few films that kind of subvert this, like No Country for Old Men. Um, this guy, quick summary, basically goes on this mission for some money and he's going through hell to save his wife with cancer. And then at the end, he just gets shot by the villain and the film ends and his wife never gets the money. And you're kind of sitting there and you're like, oh my God, what was the point? Mm. And even though that's not as nihilistic as Sotse, could be as nihilistic as Iron Sky, but not as Sotsie, it kind of has like a similar thing of a, well, I'm not going to give you the privilege of a happy ending because mm. this is the harsh reality. This is what happens.
0: Yeah. yeah, and the strength in those endings is how confronting it is, <coughs> kind of the response that it evokes in the audience because it, it is shocking to us to have such a harsh ending when we are accustomed to the good guy's, you know have a happy ending and yeah. you do the correct things and then life will work out for you but
2: unfortunately that's yeah, not exactly and I feel like Gavin Hood does use quite a bit of timing like we're on the edge of our seat as that little kid is running to, as like a second yeah. just, second resort running to get pay her she's finally gotten everything and it's like seconds away and I think that way he kind of toys with us he keeps us on the edge of our seat and then only through that and only through creating this fantasy where we actually think it's going to she's going to be saved is
1: when he bets us with. I feel like, family. yeah. And also part of why we're so willing to believe that, even though logically mm. it shouldn't happen, is that like we're all in a very privileged position. We don't really, on a daily basis, have to come to grips with how harsh things can be. Um, for people in the girl's situation, for people situation in Kenya, we don't really see that on a daily basis. And so on some level, We're like, well, we haven't seen that, so, like, it can't happen, right? Like, we aren't as accustomed to seeing that kind of complete harshness in real life, which is why I think, at least in my case, I had such, like, a, well, this can't happen. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not going to do that. And it does.
2: And it does. It comes into the idea of art should evoke emotion, whether that is positive and makes like you feel joy or whether that is negative and makes you rethink your personal view of the world and how you approach life and experiences
0: yeah yeah so moving on to the third paragraph where we would compare and contrast the both of them the similarities sort of lie in the whole idea of the sacrifice of the fantasy and desire and the utilitarianism which is sort of an overarching theme throughout both of the films um uh, and both of them a child is used as kind of the center of each movie it is mm-hmm. what is used to evoke that sort of whether it's maternal whether it's empathetic whether it's sort of a feeling of because the child represents sort of innocence yeah mm-hmm. and both of them someone that shouldn't Suffer somebody that doesn't deserve a bad ending who has done nothing to create the situation for themselves and yet, mm-hmm. due to the harsh realities of the environments they are in, both of the children suffer. Yeah. At the cost of the fantasy and desire which is wanted for other characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel
2: like Gavin Hood really weaponizes the symbol of a child to so yeah. toy with the, um, with the audience's emotions and really create that um emotional impact and it kind of makes you think like would our perspective of how deeply we care and how deeply involved we are in the fantasy change if it was adult. Like, let's say it was, say, a 40-year-old man who was selling the bread. We probably wouldn't... I think it actually yeah, would I, change our perspective. The, the idea, idea of, like, premature pain. Like, a child shouldn't have to go through
1: pain. And it's... Old people die more frequently than young people. And, like, they've yeah. lived their life. They've made all these experiences. They've had at that time. But... A child hasn't they and they've got such a simple way of viewing things they just don't understand um and i think that's what makes it so crushing and what makes that balancing in both of the yeah. harsh reality and fantasy and desire it's what gives it strength that's why we keep watching because we don't want the symbol of like innocence that should not be hurt to be hurt mm-hmm. but in a yeah. way it has to be, because that's the harshest of realities that there is. Yes,
0: and the children are contrasts to the environments themselves, because in both of them they're in third world sort of settings. Uh, but in, The children are sort of a beacon of hope, innocence, purity, and happiness, which we struggle to find throughout the rest
2: of the environment. They mm. exist in their selves, despite how awful everything around them is, and how awful
1: what happens to them is like that scene um where jesse pinkman from breaking bad is (laughs) watching the girl who's been yelled at for playing because they're under the thing um a harsh regime they can't play but she's just sitting there by herself and she's hula hooping and her Mm. world is so horrible but for this little bit she's happy and i think that really just demonstrates how unfair it is that children are often used as pawns and that game between other people's desires and the harsh reality of what's happening yeah like sotsi wants to feel better about himself so he's risking this child like Catherine wants to believe she's noble at the cost of this child yeah and so they're really suffering when they can't defend themselves or didn't even put themselves in that situation in yeah the first place.
0: and a contrast in the way in which hood uses the children in each of the films is in sotsi the child is sort of used for us to connect to Sotzi's actual character. Yeah, it's a vehicle. We, cool. we, yeah, we aren't connecting to the actual child. We are connecting to what it represents for Sotzi, what it tells us about his past and how that helps us connect to him in the present.
2: And I, oh, sorry, just adding on, I feel like that kind of comes across, as you said, your favourite scene was when they were running through and you see the flashbacks of the yeah. child. I feel like it's only until we see that that we actually have the empathy. Anymore.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then in Eye in the Sky, we are connected to the child herself. We empathise with her, we are shown... Uh, her at the beginning playing happily with her family, and how her parents love her, and we kind of she's built up to us so that we can form that connection to her, and even being shown uh, all the other soldiers and the military peoples shown when we are shown their connection to her, that only helps to strengthen ours. Mm-hmm. So the difference in who we are connected to, being taught through the child, and then in, in the sky, we are connected to the child herself. That's a difference in Hood's techniques.
1: And then also the bigger picture, like the actual harsh reality setting, um, Hood differentiates. So is harsh reality, it's set in post-apartheid South Africa. So it's talking about the townships and how this horrible segregation had happened, but it hasn't completely gone away. Like none of the characters, and this is another similarity, so it'd be in the first, but none of the characters caused the situation of harsh reality climate they're in, mm-hmm. but just by being born, they inherit it yeah. and then they go to perpetuate it because oftentimes they just don't know any better and they're still responsible. But if they don't know any better, then of course they're going to continue to do that. So in Sotse, it's post apartheid South Africa, the townships, the slums, the lack of education, the lack of resources. He, he in a better world, yeah, in a better world, he could look after this child but because of the actual country he's in and its state, he can't. Eye in the sky, the bigger picture is about the military-industrial complex, kind of, and how the military doesn't really view human lives as human lives. They go through all these kind of hoops to justify what they're doing. It comes back to utilitarianism. Yeah, to do the greater good, but then none of them want to be the actual person that does it. Like you can see in the phone call scenes where it's like, to this, guy, to this guy, to this guy, to this guy, to this guy, trying to pass on the responsibility. They will know what needs to be done to fulfill utilitarianism, but they don't want to be the one to do it themselves. It's still
2: an awful action, but it's you thinking can, about yeah. whether the result of that action is better or worse than what would happen if they yeah. stood idly by. It's a more complicated trolley problem.
0: Yeah. 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 And exemplification of selfishness <laughs> is all of them want the same outcome, a lot of them wanted the same action to occur, yet none of them were willing to take the emotional burden of having that decision placed on them. They wanted it to
2: be on someone else. Yeah. And, then and it's so- a very personal emotional burden.
1: Causing someone's death is a very personal. And it contrasts to sotse a bit, because in Eye in the Sky, they do know better. Sotsi, he doesn't. He's willing to take on any emotional burden. He's willing to do anything, but because of the country he's in. Township he's in, he can't. So what he's willing to do, the people in Eye in the Sky aren't willing to do. And what the people in Eye in the Sky know, he doesn't know, which is very sad. No,
0: and a similarity in the endings is the clarity and the sacrifice. Uh in Sotsi we have him completely sacrificing himself. You know, he has no idea what's gonna happen to himself, but he does it for the child, finally kind of makes the correct moral choice, and then in Eye in the Sky we have the two Uh, military people who were in charge of actually bombing the house and they had to completely sacrifice their moral structure what Mm. they believed in themselves in order to do that job and they were received with a mission
1: accomplished pretty much yeah yeah and so the last bit scholarship essays love connections to wider world you know original ideas and stuff so what we mentioned a bit before about modern films how they coddle us the endings and stuff like that. If you include something like that, then people marking your essay will eat it up. Um, So mainly how modern films um, don't really use the balance of partiality and fantasy of desire, which is why it is such a strength Mm. in these two films by and they don't do that because they want to make money. No yeah. one wants to continually be miserable and then pay to be yeah. miserable.
2: And I feel like those films are really a form of escapism because yeah, you can yeah. easily, like, you can tell it's not true. Like, if you think of yeah. Cinderella, you, it would never happen in real life. Exactly. You know, but, like, those kind of things, they are trying to play into the audience's fantasy and so they keep that fantasy and they keep it being, like, not tangible. Um, Yeah, as
1: Paris said, to keep selling people and to keep audiences in. I think a really good example of this you could bring up for this question is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. Um, The whole premise of that is the Sharon Tate murders, what if it didn't happen? What if Mm. these two macho men busted in and saved her? And it's like the complete antithesis to Sotsi and Eye in the Sky. It's like literally rewriting history so that you can feel better about it. There is no balance whatsoever. And regardless of your opinions on that film, it really highlights why it's such a strength in these two other films.
0: Yeah, and on a wider world sort of level, uh, it can be connected to the privilege of the audience because as we're watching it, we're looking at it from a perspective of complete privilege where we. Mm, First world country. yeah, Yeah, we've never been exposed to the sort of situation where those characters are. And I think that it puts us in a different position of viewing to those who aren't in such a privileged
2: position it takes us out of the bubble we have lived in our entire lives and shows us that life is different yeah which again has experiences and variety
1: yeah which is again such a strength of that balancing because i feel like a lot of people wouldn't reach that conclusion if these two films hadn't balanced i yeah. to design half reality as well as they did. Yeah, I feel like that's what makes it stand out.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. We're done. Woo woo. Woo.